There are scars on my body from a long time ago. Hi, this is Sierra Iveson. And I'm Kevin Merritt, and we are the hosts of Muse, a brand new musical theater podcast where we explore the storylines, songs, characters, and themes of the best new musicals in development. Our mission is to get to the heart of these shows and let you see why we believe in these stories and why they need to be told. And each episode is going to have exclusive live-in-the-studio performances as well as impromptu table readings of the script and whatever else comes up. So we want to give you an in-depth look at the process of developing a new musical and allow you to peek behind the curtain to experience these shows at their raw core long before the glitz of sets, lighting, and costumes get added. The Muse is brought to you as a collaboration between the National Alliance for Musical Theater and One Foot Productions. So let's get started. Today, we are excited to welcome Oliver Hauser and Hunter Bird, the creative team behind XY. Say hi. Hello there. Hello. Yes, thank you for coming. Thank you for, uh, you know, joining us here in Brooklyn, New York. We can't wait. <laughs> so tell us who you are and what your roles are in the show. I'm Oliver, and I go by he, him pronouns, and I wrote the book, music, and lyrics to XY. And I'm Hunter. I'm the director and developer on the piece, and I also use he, him pronouns. Wonderful. Welcome. So let's dive right in. What do we need to know about XY before we get started? I think that it's a musical. And other than that, <laughs> That's uh, other than that, we just want to check. We just want to uh, uh, launch right into the piece. That's great. Let's, let's great. do it. Let's so do if it. you were an audience member, you would have just sat down. Someone would have handed you a program. Uh, the lights would have gone down. And if it's helpful, you can know that I, an adult man, am going to be playing a child. <laughs> I think helpful. that is helpful. <laughs> A light illuminates an 11-year-old child on a dark stage. This is Christine. He wears a mud-stained floral dress and has long hair, but his movements are boyish. Christine throws off his backpack and takes out a dream phone toy. He speaks into the phone as if it was a walkie-talkie. Alpha de Bravo, Alpha de Bravo, do I come in clear? Where have I landed? What is this planet? How in the world did I end up out here? Alpha to Bravo, anyone read me? Somebody send me backup stats. I need your support to bring me home. Incoming, Mayday, alien infantry closing in. Gonna give these suckers hell. Christine shoots imaginary aliens from all sides. He takes two Barbies and pours Heinz ketchup over their bodies. Take that, Elena. Who's the freak now? Christine tears off Elena's head. More on the way, Christ almighty. Activating thermal shield. Home is far, far beyond the sky, a star far across the great unknown. It's far, but I know that I must get home. A man in a silhouette steps out of the darkness. Hello? Hello out there, do you read me? I'm coming for you in three, two, one. And release. And lights come up on a workout room. Christine is gone, and we meet Chris, the protagonist of our show. We see Chris lead Jonah through a workout routine while Christine reaches out to Chris in fragments of memories. The song ends, Christine disappears, Chris drops his dumbbell, and Jonah collapses to the floor. Kevin, would you read Jonah for me? I would love to read Jonah. Here's a, some backstory. Jonah is like a dude who's going to the gym just trying to uh, get a personal trainer. Okay. 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 
Oh, that's what I'm talking about. Next time, I want to see those arms even higher, okay? Check it out. You want to lead with your elbows, and then you turn the wrists like this with your pinkies. God damn it! Oh, uh, can I help you? Uh, I'm looking for my keys. What do they look like? Uh, it's like a bunch of keys on a ring. There's a hole in my gym bag, and I said, plug the hole, Noonie, because I knew. I just, I Are knew these your keys? I love you. Just make sure you plug that hole. I'm gonna plug that hole. Well, I think I better get changed. Me too. Perfect timing. <laughs> I was just about to hit the old gluteus maximus. <laughs> are those your quadriceps? Yes, they are. Um, now go get out of those sweaty clothes. Okay. Joan and Chris walk downstage where the lights come up in a locker room. She was all over you. Nah. I'm jealous. Keep your arms high on those raises and you might get lucky, too. <laughs> I shouldn't be complaining. I met this woman last week, and I'm sitting next to her at a bar, and she keeps looking at me. So finally, I go, hey, do I know you? And she goes, you're about to. If you only knew I got nothing on you, if you only could see. She's a goddess. If you only knew how lucky you are. To be you instead of me. You have not lived until you've kissed you've this woman. You've got it easy. God, I wish you knew you've got it easy. If you only had a clue of just how easy it is to be a guy like you. <laughs> but look who I'm talking to. You, you probably don't have any problem in that world. We've all got problems. I'm serious. I mean, you're always so put together. What's your secret? My secret. A guy like you talks to a girl and doesn't run away. A guy like you doesn't rehearse the words he's supposed to say. A guy like you isn't trying to blend in, pretending that he is okay. And if you knew what I'd give just to live one day. As a guy like you. I'm seeing her again tonight. So if I need any tips, can I text you? Go for it. See, my phone, it flips open. <laughs> it's never gonna get cooler than this. Jonah leaves. Chris turns his chest to the lockers, changes fast. Chris turns and looks in the mirror. Hey there, Chris Anderson, good to meet you. Hey there, Chris Anderson, great to meet you. Chris Anderson, how you doing? When I breathe, I inhale confidence and exhale timidity. When I breathe, a guy like you only can fake the man you'll never be. A guy like you only can dream of girls you'll never see Cause if they knew when you look in the mirror A girl standing where you should be What would they think? How could they want a guy like... Chris looks in the mirror and sees Christine. Christine steps into the locker room.
Oh, I have chills. Ooh, what's going to happen next? What is going to happen next? So before we go any further, I want to make sure to introduce your performers today. Oh, we have the amazing Peter Smith as Chris. Oh, thank you. Amazing. Um, and the incredible Kuhu Verma as Nuni. And then the rest of the parts will be read by us, which was good to point out before we started that segment. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. So to start, can you set for me the, the time frame and some of the visual constructs to the show as we move through? Yeah, so we meet Chris in the present tense narrative, which is set in 2001. Um, and the past tense narrative, uh, where we see Christine, Chris's 11-year-old self, is set in the mid-80s. So we get a sense of that through the costumes and through um, the environments that they're moving through. Uh, but it certainly feels like a, a texture that informs how these characters sort of navigate the world, particularly pre-internet for Christine. Great. And now uh, Chris lives on stage yeah, uh, throughout absolutely. the show. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so it was really important to us when we were developing the piece that this piece didn't feel like it was two separate musicals, but mm -hmm. was one coherent narrative. Mm -hmm. Totally, and it's been um, such a blessing to collaborate with Hunter on the show from the beginning because it's a show where past and present really um, interact with each other and the relationship between past and present kind of evolves as Chris... Um, uh, delves deeper into his memories as the show progresses. So it's been really cool to work with Hunter um, since he's a director. He's Together we've really gotten to shape how the imagery of the show and how it looks on stage informs the storytelling and vice versa. And what's important to us is that every time we experience a past tense memory that's having an active present tense effect on Chris, mm. our protagonist, so that we're always seeing memories not just as a memory which exists uh, expositionally, but as something that is serving as a catalyst to push Chris mm. um, because Chris is in a position where with this song Guy Like You he's never been in a relationship before and that vulnerability is something that he's struggling with mm -hmm. so, the, so the flashbacks are really just his inner thoughts that we're seeing and... that's right okay. they sort of when we meet Chris at the beginning of the play we understand that Chris is um, haunted in a routine way by these memories that he's learned how to coexist with. And meeting Nuni, this unexpected, amazing, wonderful woman, is the thing that's going to slowly start teasing out the potency of these memories that have been lying at a sort of dormant state. Great. Dramatically, I love that because there's so many things I'll do sometimes that I'm like, gosh, what? Like, where did that come from? Right. This year? You know, and yeah. all these things are rooted in how we were raised and what things have influenced us. I think that's so cool. I think that was a big impetus for writing this show for mm -hmm. me actually was in my own life, how I was just really beginning to explore like, wow, how much I'm actually living, reliving out my right. past. Your and story replay. over and over right, again. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. And that's totally what we wanted to explore with this show. And eventually how we have to come to reconcile with our mm -hmm. past, right? And, and heal those traumas. Live and, with all parts. Yes, mm -hmm. let all the parts be there. Mm -hmm. Ain't that it? Yeah. So can you set up what's going to happen next? I yep. just want to say one thing. that I do love the flip phone in there because oh. <laughs> that like just sets up that. There, there really was a limited window for that flip phone, right? I found my old flip phones oh. at my parents' place <laughs> last night. And I was like, these are so Don't cool. throw those wow. away. Uh, That's when like Star Trek kind of like became reality. And then mm -hmm. we all thought it would just stop there. But I guess we've further gone further, right, right. <laughs> yes kevin you also nailed that line too so well done oh i've been, I've been practicing I'm, I'm actually hoping to audition <laughs> i'm All just right. out of shape enough for jonah by the way good don't change anything <laughs> you are don't perfect. go to the gym okay. no new year's resolution okay
Let's keep going. Yeah, so we just left Chris inside of the locker room after Jonah left, and Christine appears inside of the locker room. And what follows is a scene where we meet Beth, uh, Chris's mother. And in this sequence, we come to understand a few things. One, that Christine is Chris's 11-year-old self. And in the script, we use he-him pronouns for Christine because there is this uh, tension that Christine feels the way he's being raised. And on the advice of doctors, uh, Beth has been conditioning her child to be raised as a girl. And so when you would see the show on stage, Christine would be presenting completely as female. You would see long hair, you would see dresses. Um, but inside of the script, the he, him pronouns that we use are just for us and for the actor playing the character, who would ideally be played by 11-year-old male-identifying performer. Um, and so this scene, which we uh, would come into right now, is all about Beth getting Christine ready to go see Dr. Albert, who we come to understand is a doctor that Christine has to visit every six or so months. There's enough of a routine quality of this that visiting Dr. Albert is something no one likes to do, but we have to do it. <laughs> and so Beth has just told Christine to put on his shoes and get ready to go uh, because we are leaving now. And Christine is reluctantly putting on his shoes and sort of poking fun at the idea of the terrible, the awful Mr. Dr. Albert. Hello, Dr. Albert. My daughter's down on her luck. The kids in the lunchroom make fun. She tries, Dr. Albert, to make a couple of friends. But when she gets near them, they run. Poor girl, she isn't all that attractive. What's more, they say she's overactive. What for? Maybe it's just a case of ADD. Could you fix her, Dr. Albert? Wonderful, Dr. Albert. Your Highness, Dr. Albert, MD. And the song continues on, and we see um, Christine and Beth going to the doctor's office, which is following Chris as he's leaving the gym, going home, and we establish sort of the routine of Chris's life, that he carries these memories with him wherever he goes. We follow a whole calendar day over the course of Dr. Albert where Chris comes home. He sits in bed, sort of longingly wishing that Dr. Albert would just get out of his mind. We wake up the next morning, Beth and Christine are there again. We go back to the gym and we, uh, over the course of a scene, meet Dr. Albert, who's existing inside of the locker room sequence. And we see um, Christine and Beth and Dr. Albert interacting together um, and all of the anxieties that come with what is this doctor doing and um, what the future looks like for what's going to be happening to Christine. Mm -hmm. So at the end of this um, uh, entire sequence, we see Beth... Um, leave this past tense memory and age 15 years and the waiting room fades and she pulls out this home phone and leaves a voicemail for her son, adult Chris. So I'm going to sing that right now. It's me again Just thought I'd see again If there's a chance If I might have a chance Do you still live in Virginia? Or have you moved away? 
Have you found a girl who makes you happy? I just hope that you're okay. And Chris hangs up the phone mid-message, leaves the locker room, and runs headfirst into Nooney. Um, so that vocabulary of the voicemails is something that's carried on throughout the show, that we see Beth in mm -hmm. the 2001 type line, timeline is continuing to reach out to Chris to try and reestablish a relationship that we're understanding isn't there right now, that mm. something happened um, that has sort of estranged the two of them. And is Beth the only character that's straddling both timelines? That's right. So while Chris can see both timelines, um, the actress playing Beth, the mother, plays Beth in her mid-30s while mm. she's raising 11-year-old uh, Christine and also mid-50s as she's reaching out to Beth or uh, to, to Chris mm -hmm, mm -hmm. through these voicemails. Okay. Yeah, one thing I wanted to, to mention, I love um, this Dr. Albert stuff because it really plays on both, I'm a parent, and it plays on the anxiety you have with your children and, and there's a, so many things that you have to do with your kids and and they just hate like that, whether it's the dentist or the doctor. And we often have these traumatic memories of going to see these these figures, doctors, experts, whatever. And I think what's beautiful about this is it really, it kind of uh, is universal to, to anyone who, who was a child. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, and I love that. And yet it's very specific in this show, obviously, um, for this character, but it, there's something about you do that even with the voicemails too and and how um you know beth as a mom has these regrets and yet she you know so we'll talk about that later mm -hmm. i'm sure but anyway i wanted to comment on that dr albert thing because it, it just so perfectly uh rides that line well what one thing i would just say complimenting oliver is i think it's very easy to uh find a black and white narrative in which someone is right and someone is wrong and what is so dynamic mm. to me about this piece is that everyone is doing the best with the information that they have um and the challenges how do you navigate um people's faults and moments that you wish you could play over and over again and mm -hmm. try and revise and fix and how the past coexists with the present in that way and how you can sort of make peace with the things that you wish you could go back and and change and do differently mm -hmm. based on your vantage point now so i just again compliment yes. oliver on that <laughs> yes. i love right that in. and i think it was certainly our intention that we can empathize with every character in the show oh yeah yes yeah should we get back to Chris and Mary? Sure. Yes. So what's going to happen? So Chris was um, listening to this voicemail from his mom, and he sharply cuts it off. He walks out of the locker room. It's the next day from the first song that we had, and he runs headfirst into Noonie. Oh, I'm so sorry. All good. Thank you again for yesterday. I was the, the keys. <laughs> no problem. I'm Noonie. Hey there, Chris Anderson. Good to meet you. I'll see you around. Uh, could you help me? With something? With? With, um, my squat. Uh, you really uh, want to sit down. Gotcha. She brings herself to the floor, so she's literally oh. sitting down. Uh, uh, is it okay if I adjust you? Please. <laughs> Back straight, mm -hmm. head up. Oh, ow. That's it. That feels good. It looks good. It feels good. Uh, you got it. You're an amazing teacher. You're a good student. <laughs> Are you kidding? You're like a friggin' action figure, and here I am with my jiggly ass and my pancake nipples. Well, see you around, Chris. See ya. <laughs> I'm not a Trekkie. 
you just spoke cling on to me. I saw like one episode as a kid. Okay. Well, I guess I'll see ya, Chris. Uh, yeah, I'll see you around. <laughs> Thanks for the help. Anytime. Goodbye. Bye. Do you like ice cream? No. Why? I didn't lose my keys. I pretended to lose them because what I really want to say is that I think you are very attractive. I have admired you for many months. And then you spoke Klingon to me. And if I don't say something, I will regret this for the rest of my life. So here is my number and I would like to take you out for ice cream. I don't eat ice cream. Well, it's, it's frozen yogurt, so it's healthy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I can't. Okay. No problem at all. I'll see you, Chris. <laughs> Uh, hey! Yeah. Uh, uh, make sure you sit low with that squat. Sit low. <laughs> uh, keep it real, dude. Will do! Noonie takes a piece of paper, crumples it up, and tosses it in the trash. She leaves. Keep it real, dude. Yo, keep it real. Hey, keep it real. I'll catch you later. <laughs> Hold it together. Don't let it shake you. Don't for a moment let her make you cry. Look at you losing. Look at you failing. Look at this sad attempt to be a guy. Will you be lonely for forever? You can't even tell a woman yes. That girl was your chance. Chris goes to the trash and picks up the crumpled piece of paper. A chance to do things over. A chance to start today. A chance to stop regretting all the chances you keep letting slip away. She's honest and she's funny. She's asking you for more. So tell me why you're waiting when you're closer than you've ever been before. A chance for new beginnings To let the old Chris die It's time to take a stance Cause buddy, she's your chance The chance to be a guy Chris calls Noonie. Fernando, how many times do I have to tell you I did not break that Stairmaster? Uh, uh, hey, it's Chris from the gym. Uh, hello. I've thought about you since our conversation. I have thought about you, too. Uh, Want to get a drink tonight? Yes. I mean, uh... Sure. Great. Uh, meet me at Champs at 7. You got it. Keep it real, dude. <laughs> a guy like you just took a chance and things are moving fast there's something new the man you could be feels possible at last a guy like you is changing his story and soon to be out of the past she'll look my way
Christ. I can so relate to being the woman at the gym who might have broken the Stairmaster. Mm. <laughs> we imagine that that call has happened multiple times. Oh, oh so funny. So um, while we take a, a, a quick pause here, so this is sort of the big number at what feels like act one of a three-act structure. Can you, t can you talk a little bit about the structure of the show if you're in the audience? Totally. Well, I mean, this show is really, I would say it was a tricky show to structure because I, um, I wanted it to really feel like, I think Hunter spoke to this earlier, but I really wanted the past tense narrative to, to help propel Chris's present tense narrative with Nuni. Mm. Um, so this moment is, is really huge for Chris because he's just taken this step, which is so major for him. He's actually asked someone out. He's dared to enter into the realm of intimacy with another person, which he's never done as an adult. Mm. So it's it's um it's Remind a big me, moment. For how him. old is is Chris in this moment? He's twenty six as an adult. Mm -hmm. And I think what this section up until now establishes, and we all I think have experienced this, where we create these patterns in our lives as a way of moving through the world that protects certain parts of us, that gives us an ability to um, present a certain way as we hope others will see us. And so Chris has created this kind of armor mm. uh, as a way of moving through um his life, but the armor comes at a cost, mm -hmm. which is um, the kind of closed off protective space that he's had to create for himself. And yeah. so in Dr. Albert, we've seen the routine of how life has been. And with Guy Like You, this moment, as Oliver said, there is a disruption of the routine that Chris has created for himself. Um, and a and window he, for intimacy. Exactly, and vulnerability mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. So Chris is so excited. I mean, he's getting ready to go on this date, and we go into a sequence in which Chris is in his apartment bathroom, and he's getting ready for this date. He takes off his shirt, which reveals double mastectomy scars. Mm. And Chris sort of stares at them in the mirror for a moment, and that triggers a memory that has long laid dormant um, in which we see the moment of Beth, his mother, teaching Christine, his 11-year-old self, how to put on makeup the first time for mm. a party. And so there are two scenes that are played out simultaneously, Chris getting ready to go on this date, but also Beth arming Christine with this language in this beautiful song called Aren't You Beautiful, which is all about um, what Beth believes is the joy of getting to sort of play dress up um, for others, but inside of that, the sort of dark cost of what it means to present for other people's um, expectations. Right, another layer of hiding. That's right, that's right. And of course, Beth is saying this not in a any kind of a mommy dearest way. Um, there's mm -hmm. no malevolence behind it. It's mm -hmm. the joy a mother hopes to have of uh, having this moment with her daughter, um, only to sort of realize the reality that Christine does not want to put this mask on, but ultimately Christine acquiesces because he sees the pain that his mom is going through of, mm. of this the, this idea, this expectation that she had that clearly isn't playing out as she hoped. Right, and also in this scene, we see Beth propose uh, a surgery to Christine that Dr. Albert wants Christine to undergo that will help Christine feel more like a girl. Mm. And we see Christine's reticence uh, and hesitation about it. We learn that there has been an event at school um, which uh, the other girls saw Christine standing up to use the bathroom, and Beth continues to advise Christine that's not the way little girls use the bathroom. And so we understand that the surgery is a part of a larger conversation with Dr. Albert about... Um, trying to make Christine feel more like a girl, um, which Christine, we could tell, is, is struggling with. And what I, when I, it, that number in the show to me is so beautiful, too, because 
you're watching Beth understand her daughter is being bullied. And the makeup also feels like a response to maybe how to how to right. be bullied less, right? How to fit in more with the girls or know the tricks of what the girls are doing. And and then to have that not resonating with Christine is just compounding on this pain of, of uh, what it means to fit in. Mm. That's totally it, yeah. It goes back to um, the armor idea mm. for Chris, which is um, something that Oliver has spoken about so beautifully, which is we all are told either by our parents or by society or by ourselves that maybe there is something about us that um, is is lacking, that there is a deficiency, that we need to change the way we look or feel or the way we present in order to fit in. And this show is about all of the different ways, one, that we learn those behaviors both from our parents and we reinforce them ourselves, and the bravery of breaking those patterns into something more authentic mm. and true and releasing the shame that we feel. Mm. And yet I, I do think it's so brilliant that that Chris is a fitness instructor, right? Mm, so right. his whole career, at least at this point, is about control of the body, control of how he looks, you know, and working with people to try to obviously shape them into something different than they are, which I think is pretty poignant in, in that. And, you know, it shows even the conflict uh, within himself of, you know, in one sense, rejecting this this idea of having to be something and having to you know, have so much control over, over, you know, <clears throat> your looks and everything like that. And then the other side of, you know, that's also what he's doing. <laughs> for exactly. Right. So. Well, it's, he's kind of stuck in this, in this loop where I think he thinks that he's overcoming his past mm -hmm. by, by asserting this hyper-masculine front, but actually he's just playing out the same pattern that Hunter yeah. was speaking to of, of kind of presenting mm. um, differently from how we are. Yeah. Well, so we see Chris get ready in present day. Mm -hmm. He leaves his bathroom. He's gotten ready for this date. And he moves to a dive bar where he meets Noonie, who's holding two full tankards of beer. Yes, Noonie. Yes. <laughs> this round's on me. Oh, jeez. Oh, are you done? Totally understand if you have to go. I can definitely finish these myself. You should have put it on my tab. I, too, have money. Hmm. Uh, to your abundance of money. <laughs> I'm so poor. <laughs> they cheers. Noonie drinks her drink for a long, long time. I'm nervous. You're doing great. I'm on a date with a gym trainer. Just breathe. God, you're so poised and self-assured. Like, I want that. Confidence doesn't develop overnight. How do you do it? How is it done? Tell me your secret. There's this moment when I'm working out, I hit my limit, and I can feel the muscles breaking down. And if I just push past it, it it's like I leave myself. I'm someone new. That's my secret. Wow. I would kill for that. Like right now, I'm sitting with you, and all I'm thinking is... And we should pause here quickly to say that I am about to start singing for Kuhu. So once uh, now going from small, small boy to um, adult woman. Um, so let's do that line one more time. Wow. I would kill for that. Like right now, I'm sitting with you and all I'm thinking. Noonie, don't be weird. Noonie, don't be loud. Noonie, please behave. Make your mother proud. Noonie, just have a normal conversation with this very handsome man. I want to hear more about you. What are your embarrassing secrets? We're not done with you yet. 
<laughs> Noonie, settle down. Noonie, get a grip. Please hold in the farts. Do not let it slip. Noonie, 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 stop saying your thoughts aloud. Noonie, 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 you horrible schlub. Noonie, 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 just show him you're normal. Don't mention your Pokemon club. You play Pokemon? Only on weekends. I think that is awesome. You think that's awesome? Yeah. I've never told this to anyone, but... At night, I lie awake and grab a pen. I start to write my screenplay. I pull my black gloves on, strap up my boots, and I become... Nuninia. The most powerful superhero god, Nuninia. And her ass-kicking mega-lady squad, Nuninia, is who I meant to be. Yes, Saria. She stands her ground. If the meat's too rare, she'll send it back. She loves herself. Even if her mother thinks she's fat, Nuninia, my pride and joy. She's me. It's me, but they keep saying Noonie, drop the weight, do not eat the bread Noonie, don't you know, fanny packs are dead Noonie, 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 don't laugh at the funeral Noonie, keep the cat inside of the bag Noonie, clean up your act and sooner or later They'll let you back into laser tag Just try and tag me, bitches Cause Noonania is my one-way ticket out this town I sell my script And the fanboys are all bowing down To Noonie Brown, the Screenplay queen, Nuninia, rated PG-13, and she's coming, yes, I'm coming to a theater near you. Nuninia sounds awesome. Yeah, she's awesome. But me, well... Noonie, you're a laugh. Noonie, you're a hoot. Noonie, choose a more regular pursuit. Noonie... You have expenses. You've got a steady job, shitty, but it pays. And your boss is cool, and you gotta raise. Noonie, come to your senses. Stop foolish dreaming. You know, Nuninia belongs inside the closet drawer. Cause let's be real. That's what crazy dreams are for And that's okay Nuninia Some other day I think I should go You didn't finish your beer I need to give my cat a bath Right now I just remembered he's very dirty Hold on Goodbye I think you're beautiful I think you're gorgeous in blue I think you don't even know You can't even see how stunning you are I think you're beautiful I think we should read your screenplay Yeah, okay I'm serious When? Tomorrow Absolutely not Why? Because? Nobody's read it before. I would be honored to be your first. 
The author is very protective. The author is scared she might actually be good. Why are you being so nice to me? Because I like you. Tomorrow night, one screenplay. Now we're talking. Oh, God. I'll see you tomorrow. Keep it real. <laughs> Keep it realsies. Chris walks home. When I breathe, I inhale confidence and I exhale timidity. When I breathe, I inhale confidence and exhale timidity. When I breathe. And then he walks in his house and something big happens. But what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I have to say this relationship is so sweet because... They, they're each giving each other so much. To Noonie, Chris mm. is the hunkiest hunk, and she gets to validate and love that. And then on the flip side, Chris is ready to go all in for Noonie's dreams. And it's, but it's so endearing and so real and so what I think all of us wind up searching for. We're also mm. so lucky to have worked with Kuhu and Peter on the piece a few different iterations. And so it's amazing to be able to dive into the material with two performers who not only have such dynamic chemistry, but also are just really fantastic at how you navigate the layering between mm. the you that you want the other person to see and the you that mm. you actually are. Yeah, I would love to know, do you have any thoughts about, like that scene is such a wonderful scene. I'm curious, your thoughts about your characters. and <laughs> So uh, I love Nuni so much. And I think what I like about her so much, it, she's self-deprecating, but in a way that actually uses confidence and like ownership over who she is mm -hmm. it's never in a way that like there are certain things that she wants to change about herself but when it comes to being weird there's no shame in that and it's always you know you're a hunk and you're this and you're this and I'm this and that's blah. but I think it's a coping mechanism and she uses that kind of language but doesn't fully mean it she doesn't feel I think the 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 darkness of that as much mm. as maybe it seems mm. um because you know coming up to there's she speaks on I know I'm all these things but I'm, that's just what it is. That's life. And I have found joy in that. And I hope that you can find joy in it too. And so I think that's what I love. Oliver, correct me if I'm wrong. I love your sharing that. It actually feels so apt. And it's true that she's actually so courageous. Like in that moment when she hands Chris her number and is like so honest with him. And then in this moment and coming up, you know, when she's offering to read her screenplay, like she's actually like taking really bold moves to show herself. And I think it's actually inspiring Chris to, to open up himself more too. Yeah. It's like, she has so much confidence, but she's insecure presenting, you know, Right. but it's actually, she's actually braver than a lot of other people would be. Totally. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And it seems like Chris is sort of the inverse of that, that you would make all these assumptions about him. Peter, what, what's it been like getting inside of that skin? Um, getting inside of the skin <laughs> of a person who's imprisoned in their body. Um, <laughs> I know that well. Uh, to the folks at home, I am a trans person. Uh, so that story and that the feeling of being at a bar with a gal and thinking like, well, my body is completely wrong. Why would they ever want to? talk to me ever, 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 ever. That feeling is so real. Um, so to then any kind of gender narrative, it really does come down to being on a date at a bar, no matter what body you're in. So that scene especially is loaded for sure. And uh, yeah, it's intense. But I love Chris. Mm. I do love him. 
it's a it's a it's a lot, but I won't spoil anything for the listeners at home. <laughs> I'm curious, and you may not have an answer to this, but uh, this obviously he he takes risks with Nudie that he's uh, at least I, I expect he's not taken before. What do you what do you think it is about Nuni? Uh I think Nuni he sees like just a genuine um, person that. All the things that they, you know, basic surface level dating of, they like the same stuff. Wow. Um, but they can speak Klingon. Yeah. You can do these very specific nerdy things with each other that, um, on top of them being in their bodies that they're dealing with, they also are nerds, which is another layer of social performance. Well, I think, Peter, the thing that I love too is like the safety that Nuni creates in terms of the space of being vulnerable because she puts herself out there. Yeah. And seeing Chris sort of rise to that vulnerability. And a, yeah, Nuni is just the gift. I mean, it's the magic. It, uh, Chris is at a point in his career, quote unquote, where this is presented to him. And he's like, I think I can jump off of this cliff now. I think I can mm. do this now. Mm. Thank God for this Nuni. Well, <laughs> it sounds like we got to go to the second day. I was going to say, so what's the big... So um, Chris comes back to his apartment. There's a surprise there um, where Christine meets a friend, and we'll talk more about that later. There's one other cast member we have yet to meet, um, and in this moment we would introduce that cast member, but we'll save it for a little bit later. Instead, um, we jump back to Chris's apartment, and uh, this is Chris and Nooney's second date. Uh, as you remember from Nooney, they promised that the following night they would read one screenplay of hers, and this is it. We're uh, following Chris inside and suddenly Nooney pops up wearing probably like a blanket tied around her neck like a uh, uh, cape and she's uh, holding a script but she's totally off book and suddenly Chris pulls out a script. Anyway, she pops up from behind the couch pantomiming holding a giant gun and she says, Go to hell, Octagon. Eat shit, Nooninia. You can do better than that. Oh, um, eat shit, Nooninia. If it's yours, I wouldn't count on it. So you decided to show up, huh? Wasn't gonna leave my sister behind. This whole galaxy could have gone to shit because of my stupidity. My sorry ass doesn't deserve to be saved. Hey, maybe half this planet thinks you're a monster. And maybe you did shit yourself in hyperspace. But you are the bravest woman I know, and I love you. Let's go home. You keep it real, sister. Keep it real? Seriously? Art imitates life. You keep it real, sister. I will if you do. Now come on. Let's go blast that Kroondike to space. Genesis and Nuninia enter the cruiser and shoot off into the stars. A surge of light. Then a speck on the horizon. Finally reunited. Finally going home. It's only a first draft. I would pay money to see this. You're just saying that. What are you doing here? You invited me. You should be in L.A. You should be pitching this movie. Yeah, okay. I'm serious. When have we seen a big, badass woman superhero before? And it's funny. Mm. It's really funny. I think Nuninia would inspire a lot of people. Okay. You think I haven't thought this through? Oh, excuse me, Mr. James Cameron. Here's a no-name brown chick writing about a plus-size lady superhero who can save the world without wearing a bikini. That's a self-perpetuating mindset. Mm. You should practice positive affirmations. Like if you say, I am a good writer. I am a good writer. It's very effective. Like, if you do it right now, I am a good writer. You don't get it. As a dude, I'm sorry, but you don't get it. You know, I've had to get over shit. Yeah? Like what? 
last week, I really wanted to bench press 325, but I could only get to 310. <laughs> oh, God. Dickhead. <laughs> you really think it's good? And the Oscar goes to Nudie Brown. <laughs> I want to thank the Academy. I want to thank my parents. Dad, even though you told me that women writing action movies was the worst thing you've ever heard of in your life, I'll forgive you your impossible misogyny because I won the Oscar, bitch. <laughs> and to Chris, I want to thank Chris. Chris, who taught me what it really means to plank. <laughs> <laughs> what? Ooh, you remind me of someone I used to know. Was she crazy? Mm, she kind of was. Oh, no. <laughs> you are very honest. Well, you're very perfect. Is that a family trait? No. Well, in that case, to shitty dads. <laughs> oh, my God, your dad is dead. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. no, 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 I, no sorry, no. I didn't mean to pry, no, no, honestly. He's, he, uh, he's uh, <laughs> dads, no, um, dads, uh... There's the light Poking through the gap In the curtains Waking me up At dawn There's my room There's my ninja turtle pillow The baseballs on the bedsheets that I had There's my dad And he says Hey buddy It's just you and me buddy So what'll it be buddy Are we gonna fly Look alive, buddy Man, what a champ Gimme five, buddy Get in the car and we'll drive, buddy You can give steering a try I can see it now I can smell the engine I can feel the trees rushing into view Feel the sun, I can hear the air, and it's almost, it's almost, it's almost too good to be true. So Nini disappears at this point. And Beth and Christine are in Chris's apartment. I told you, I don't want to do it. It'll make things so much easier, I promise. I don't want your stupid surgery. I thought you said you wanted to be like the other girls. You don't get me, Mom. Please help me get you. I want to get you. Shut up. I just don't know what to do anymore. Three schools in two years? You tell me what to do. I'm getting out of here. I just want you to be happy. I'm going to run away like Dad. You chased him away, and now I'm leaving too. You think I'm the reason Dad left? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I hate you. 
I love you so much, sweetheart. I hope one day you learn how to be a good mom. Christine slams Chris's door, and Beth tries the knob. Open up. Open up right now, young lady. Do you hear me? Sweetheart, please. Please. Over here, kiddo. You're getting big. Have a beer, kiddo. Just don't tell mom till next year, kiddo. When it's just us, you're allowed. Smell the outdoors, buddy. Why don't you pick up the oars, buddy? You want the moon, then it's yours, buddy. Cause you make your father so proud. And isn't it beautiful? Just like it's meant to be. I think it's beautiful. Isn't it just too good? Just you and me, buddy. So what'll it be, buddy? Your dad raised a really cool guy. He sounds so great, buddy. And this was a super fun date, buddy. I don't know, maybe it's fate, buddy. Should we give this a try? I can see you now, little Chris in motion, a perfect son, and look at how he grew. I can see you now, I can see you now, and it's almost kisses Chris. Her lips leave his. They stare at each other. They lean in and kiss again, this time longer. Nuni grabs at Chris and begins to lift up his shirt. Chris pulls away. What's wrong? I'm tired. Is it my breath? Chris's phone buzzes on the coffee table. Your mom's calling. Oh, that's... She's probably wondering when I'm gonna come over. That's so sweet. Yeah, I'm lucky, I guess. You should probably get going. Okay. It's late and I'm teaching tomorrow. Uh, can I see you again soon? Yeah. You can call me whenever I'm free, like all the time, so. Good night. Good night. Hey, I had a really nice time tonight. Me too. Christine jumps into Chris's apartment through an open window. Alpha to Bravo! Bravo, wake up! And this is probably a good moment to talk about a character that we haven't introduced the entire time, which is um, after Chris uh, has his first date with Noonie and he comes home, that big surprise that we talked about, mm. he comes home and standing in his living room is Rebecca. Oliver, do you want to talk about Rebecca? Yeah, Rebecca is this totally unselfconscious 12-year-old girl whose um, socks are perfectly mismatched and she just says exactly what's on her mind and is the perfect foil in contrast to the very shy and self-conscious Christine. 
And is it possible that Rebecca reminds Chris of Noonie? That, is that why she appears sort of in and out of this, these Noonie times? Very much. Okay. And in the writing of the show, that, that was kind of a, an inspiration. It was not that they're the same person, sure. but that they, they play similar roles in some ways. Old um, and ready to be themselves. Exactly. And Christine makes this friend because the thing about Rebecca that is so inspiring is that Rebecca is completely inside of her own skin and accepts Christine exactly as he is. And Rebecca is the one that actually proposes a shorthand name for Christine. She says, oh, can I call you Chris? And mm. Christine says, I like that, Chris. And we understand Rebecca to sort of be the origin of, an, of the beginnings of an identity that Christine didn't fully understand and yet something immediately sort of felt true about that. So Rebecca has been for Christine the confidant um, over the last couple of months as their friendship has grown. And in the sequence that we just heard inside of Almost, um, we see this fight between Beth and Christine um, in which Beth is trying with this surgery, which she's been proposing multiple times throughout the show. And Christine runs away because he just so believes that there's no solution here. So of course he runs next door to Rebecca, his best friend's house. Um, and that's this scene that we're hearing right here. And of course, again, this is gorgeous when it's played by uh, an 11 and 12 year old. And will still be gorgeous when we'll it's played by Hunter and myself. <laughs> Which by the way, just a con that last moment was gorgeous. We, uh, we jumped right into this, but just so much there to unpack, which we can't after, but with the dad coming into the story here, or at least the, you know, what we're hearing about it. So, um, I just wanted to say that was an amazing performance. I was getting chills, so. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Peter Akuhu. It was beautifully yes. performed. So now we will hear Oliver as Rebecca and Hunter as Christine. For those listeners at home, Oliver is playing all of this on a piano and has a microphone in front of him and is just a Herculean presence. Yes, and juggling five balls. and Yeah. Okay. Christine jumps into Chris's apartment through an open window. Alpha to Bravo. Bravo, wake up. Bravo to Alpha. Where did you come from? The window. Chris, it's been two months. You never told me you were a ninja. Pack your stuff. We're getting out of here. Why? Because home is destroyed. We have to find somewhere new. Maybe Michigan. Uh, we can't go to Michigan. Why not? Because there's somewhere better. There's a place you can stay up till 10 every night. There's a place where your mom and your dad aren't right. There's a place where it's Sunday each day of the week. There's a place you're allowed to stare into the sun. You can talk to the trees and nobody makes fun. There's a place where nobody says, go to your room. You can't bring strangers' dogs back home with you. What is this holy place? Chris Beckerland. Where you and me are king and queen. Chris Beckerland. Chris Beckerland. Where no one's wrong and no one's mean in Chris Beckerland, you can be anyone you wanna be. Just you and me in Chris Beckerland. As king of Chris Beckerland, I hereby free all hamsters. All hamsters, Malige. All. It's done. Be free. Here's the lunchroom where you get to sit where you please. No one treats you like you have a fatal disease. And we eat mac and cheese every day, every meal. Uh, what about cereal? Oh, cereal? Yes. 
In our school, every class is interpretive dance. All the boys have to join. And the girls can wear pants. And whenever you want, you can scream how you feel. I feel feelings. 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 Chris Beckerland. Chris Beckerland. Where cats and dogs can all run free. Chris Beckerland. Chris Beckerland. And no one cares about how you pee. In Chris Beckerland, you can do anything you want to do. Just me and you. 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 You can be weird. You can be bad. You can be silly or be sad. You can sing out. You can draw monsters on the walls. Step dance our band. Doctors are too. No one can tell us what to do. And with you by my side, I just know we'll go far. Yes, our friendship will reach every moon, every star. Cause I know that you're perfect the way that you are. In Chris Beckerland. Chris Beckerland. Alpha to Bravo, the kingdom is under siege. Enemy fighters coming in fast. Bravo to Alpha, cover me. I'm going in. Rebecca, no! Avenge me. Enemy neutralized. Rebecca, get up. God, is that you? No, it's me, Chris. You must rule the kingdom without me. You're gonna be okay. You hear me? You're gonna be okay. Just hold on, and I promise that you'll be all right. Gonna bring you back home, and I'll tuck you in tight, and we'll live in our house, and I'll give you massages, and make you hot chocolate every day. I'm allergic to dairy. In Chris Beckerland, we're always gonna be together. So take my hand, and I'll take care of you forever. I promise to love you. You've got my guarantee. Cause in Chris Beckerland, it's only you and me. Christine holds Rebecca tightly. He goes to kiss Rebecca on the lips, and Rebecca turns away. What are you doing, silly? I love you, Rebecca. Stop. Uh, you ready for the next adventure? I don't want to play anymore. Well, why not? I, I have to go. Chris? Chris! Christine runs out through the window. Beth appears. Sweetheart, there's something I have to tell you. And that's the end of our second chunk here. Ooh. Ooh. Wow. I just, the, the, the nature of joy in this relationship between Chris and Rebecca is so wonderful because it, it manages to be it, like so inclusive of Chris's experience without it ever... It just is. It just mm. is that way. It's so much fun to watch them. And it's so, it was so important, I think, early on uh, to discover that I really wanted to have kids in this show and specifically, you know, two young actors because it brings this levity mm -hmm. and joy that we really need when we're tackling with kind of 
subject matter that, you know, especially as the show goes on, gets more heavy. Mm-hmm. And I think this moment for me is just this celebration of like the child in all of us who is so innocent and carefree and just like ready to just yes. express, you know? Yeah, I, this is my probably uh, one of my favorite songs, if not my favorite song, just because of it's this is every child's dream, right? You know, mm. I mean, they're just speaking for everyone of just being able to be free, do what you want, uh, not be bound by uh, all the, the things that society puts on us. Um, I want to be in Chris Beckham. I know, <laughs> I know. And it's just, uh, yeah, it's so, uh, it's, it's such a juxtaposition to uh, the other pressures that these kids, especially uh, Christine, feels, you know, from the doctor, from her mother, and um, that, that there is this world at least in their heads like why why you know and when you think about it from adult perspective yeah why do we do this like why do we put try to put people in boxes especially little Mm. kids um and i think this song just speaks to that it's uh ah it's great Mm. Also, I appreciate there are kids in the show, but you make very excellent. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think so too. Thank you. Your channel, you're in touch with that part the, of yourself. The origin story of this song, very quickly, is Oliver and I were at the Johnny Mercer Writers Colony at mm. Goodspeed, um, which happens in the dead of winter. There was a snowstorm going on outside, and um, very stupidly, I decided to go, even though I had like a hundred degree fever. And so Oliver and I were trapped in this house um, writing this show. Um, with access to unlimited alcohol every night, which was just like a crazy thing. And so there was one day where Oliver was trying to write this and we were running around the house pretending that we were 11 years old, oh. just sort of screaming at each other. Yes. On the record, I was totally sober. <laughs> and I had full access to my 11-year-old whenever I, I see, sober. I see. Yes. So, so Hunter had the fever and the alcohol together. <laughs> yeah, right. See, he was really dubbed up. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because while you guys were performing it, I was like, is this reflective of their relationship too? Like, <laughs> yeah. They, I mean, uh, you, got, you seem to yes. have so much fun Hunt Oliver Land? doing this. You oh, know? totally Hunt Oliver yeah, Land. Yeah, there's so many things like go to your room, you can't bring strangers, dogs back home <laughs> that's with a, you. That's one of your is, golden Is like a, a deep, a deep uh, uh, desire of mine oh. <laughs> <laughs> to steal strangers' dogs. That's not dogs. what I thought you were going to say, but yeah, it's so true funny. about you. Wow. So, okay, that's the end of our presentation here, our performances, but... I obviously that's not the end of the show. So I am really curious, um, and I don't know how much you're willing to reveal. Um, but what happens from here? You know, there's there's a question of their relationship. There's the question of Chris's relationship to his mother. Uh, where does this go? Well, Chris and Nooney continue deepening the intimacy in their relationship, and as they do, it um, triggers um, even deeper memories from Chris's past, which kind of culminates in Chris confronting some some um, some of his traumas and and uh, really complicated things about his past. And uh, I'll leave it at that in regards to um, how it ends with Nooney. Um, but Chris also continues to. Um, explore his relationship with his mom as well. And this, there's a moment that was at the end of that sequence, which we just did, in which Beth says, sweetheart, there's something I need to tell you. And in the full show, that um, haunting moment is sort of repeated multiple times that Chris revisits that precipice, but continues to sort of cut it off. Mm. And the culmination of the piece um, is when Chris and Nooney have um, a, a real vulnerable moment together that triggers 
Chris revisiting that memory that we've always just seen the sort of beginning of. And it's the moment in which um, over the course of the past tense narrative, we've seen Beth pushing this surgery, which Dr. Albert has advised Christine should have, which will make him more like the other girls. And Christine finally does acquiesce to that surgery after the rejection that he feels from Rebecca. And that surgery ends up not working. Um, that uh, Christine still feels just as isolated as he did before the surgery. And Beth certainly feels like she has done everything as a parent that one could hope to do, particularly a parent in the 80s who lacks any kind of nexus for information beyond what the medical professionals are telling her. And so Beth makes the decision to sort of disclose um, the circumstances of Christine's birth. So that actually brings up an a interesting question. Were you going to add to that? Yeah, but go oh, ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, that's, I, I had a question about the timeline and... and uh, was that a specific choice you made to, and I think you maybe just alluded to, uh, to maybe why you made, but I'm curious, um, was there, was there a reason that it's in this, this timeline, their time period, I should say? Well, one of the primary reasons is that, um, what Beth is dealing with as a parent is something that, um, and in the eighties, there's no, you know, without the internet or any kind of community, um, you know, resources, Beth doesn't really know, um, what other information is out there about how she could be raising her child. So she's really just going off of the advice of doctors. And that's a big difference between then and now. Well, and particularly as a single parent where she's also trying to hold down multiple jobs, they've changed three schools in two years. There's sort of a, a tremendous burden of just getting through the day as any single parent would, let alone um, how to navigate parenting Christine in a way that makes him feel seen and heard. Hmm. Which also brings up another question I had about the father. So we get a little bit about Chris's dad, but how much, uh, how much do you explore with that or how much do we need to know about that? Is, you know, part of me is like, is this some deadbeat dad that just bailed on the family or is there something else going on deeper or is, is that relationship explored at all? Um, it's just a bit explored just a bit further, but I do think what we can say now is that, is that, that, that in that song, we're actually seeing Chris invent a memory of his father, the father that he wish, wishes oh. he had, but who wasn't present. Mm. Uh, so, wow, there's so much here. I'm so excited. So we're, we're going to, um, ask you some questions related to both the origin of the story and how you guys work together. So Sarah, do you want to start? Sure. So, you know, I first just want to frame um, what brought you to write XY, what, what's the core community you're representing uh, in the story and, and talk a little bit about that. Right. So we've been talking a lot about these doctor's visits and Dr. Albert and Hunter mentioned this moment toward the end when Beth says, sweetheart, there's something I have to tell you. And finally kind of reveals to Christine um, the truth about his birth. And what that is, is that Christine is born intersex. And intersex um, refers to anyone whose physical anatomy or chromosomes uh, don't align with the stereotypical definition of a male or female body. And for the past several decades, it's actually been standard medical practice in this country and abroad to perform non-consensual surgeries on intersex infants and then raise them as a particular gender. And this often has these really traumatic consequences because these kids are taught at a really early age that something is wrong with them and they have to be fixed. So I discovered all of this in a um, 
uh, psychology class my freshman year of, of college. And I felt so moved because I know that I and all of us can relate to that feeling of of feeling inadequate or ashamed to be who we are or outside of our own skin because of how society tells us we should look or behave. And that was my entry point into XY. And I should have verified this statistic before I said it out loud on a podcast, but I, when I studied in college, I believe I was told that the intersex condition is as, as common as having red hair in society, percentage-wise. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's like actually extraordinarily common. Totally. And it represents a totally wide spectrum mm -hmm. of presentations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. That actually, so um, there's something interesting in this where we see Beth really push um, uh, Christine into into one gender or another. And part of that just brings up the stereotypical sort of, uh, you know, par parent, especially maybe in not an urban environment where... Uh, there's a broader acceptance of differences. Uh, but I, I wondered as I was listening to this if, uh, and, and reading it if, if she's even going further uh, pushing Christine to be a girl because of her, you know, her fear. Like it, she overcompensates. Like if, if uh, Christine had not been born intersex, would she maybe be okay with her being a little more of a tom tomboy? Mm. Which, you know, I, I did have that question. Is this just... You know, how much of this is her even overcompensating because of her fear um, that, you know, her, her kid's not normal? Well, I think Beth is certainly feeling insecure about the fact that Christine is displaying all these tomboyish tendencies when, you know, she's, the doctors are telling her, you know, you need to be raising her as a girl. And of course, she's struggling with her own doubts and concerns like, and, and, and this fear of failing as a parent, which I think, you know, I, I'm not a parent yet, but I know oh, it's, it's so universal. Yeah. Yeah. I knew you could speak to that <laughs> every um, day. Right. Right. And you can't avoid it. Right. You know, I mean, that's, that's the part of Beth. And I think mm -hmm. you might have brought this up like you, you have so much compassion for it too even though some of the decisions she's making uh, really have a traumatic effect on on Chris uh, later on I mean she was a woman trying to do her best with the information she had and, you, and that really comes out I, I just that one of the things I love about the show is is you get, you get to understand and explore the position of of Chris. Uh, hopefully, if you're an audience member that's new to understanding um, intersex, you you have a window into that. But then simultaneously, you get to relate so deeply to like a mother doing her best, wanting the best for her child, and and not totally knowing what that is, right? And I even just reading Beth's lines cold today, it's like, oh my gosh, what do you need? Tell me what you need. Mm. Um, but then of course the child isn't necessarily equipped with the language to say I don't identify as a right. as a female um so I and I just think that the nuance in which you can care so deeply about everybody in the story even when they're hurting each other is an, mm. is an amazing thing about the musical mm. so what was it like to research this so I'm getting that you didn't mm -hmm. grow up with a intersex sibling or this was not a personal uh, story in terms of the specifics uh, how did you go about researching this when you when you got this idea well, really early on, uh, early on, and we did a ton of research. Um, and early on, we uh, started uh, communicating with and working with this fabulous human rights organization called Interact. And uh, it's a wonderful group that advocates for the human rights of intersex youth across the world. Do you want to speak a bit to this? Yeah, so um, their executive director, Kimberly Zeiselman, uh, got in touch with us um, after we reached out to Interact, and she read the script and gave us some really um, 
uh, thoughtful and illuminating sort of context pieces for mm. the experience of growing up intersex. And one of the the key refrains that we've heard in multiple narratives from multiple people um, in the intersex community that we've met is that there is this um, incredible culture of secrecy mm -hmm. in which you are um, raised with. And oftentimes people find out their intersex much later in life by accident mm. reviewing medical records um, because the prevailing idea was a sort of don't ask, don't don't tell right. kind of logic. Have the surgery, be it, the girl. Exactly. And oftentimes the lingering traumatic consequences from these surgeries would manifest in other ways. And it was only later that people who were intersex and had these surgeries done to them sort of discovered this part of them that they never had a chance to mm. really be in dialogue with. And so one of the things that the show, I think, really beautifully delves into is the complicated nature that Beth is grappling with of the prevailing logic at the time that she was raising this child was this, um, this secrecy, um, which ostensibly was for the betterment of her mm. child growing up, when in fact Beth perceives that it's that very secret that's what's destroying Christine because he doesn't have language or understanding or context to feel why there is this immense incongruity with the body that he is supposed to be um, inhabiting as opposed to what he is naturally feeling about himself. And have we moved forward now in 2020? Are, are these surgeries still happening? Is this still legal to, uh, to, as a parent, decide what gender your child will be? I'm so glad you mentioned that because this, um, this, these surgeries are still happening and um, this organization we've spoken about, Interact, is working tirelessly, tirelessly to, to try to implement new legislation because um, it's happening here and abroad. Um, and of course, parents still have more resources, they have more resources now than they used to, but doctors are still advocating for these procedures to be done. And one of the sort of incredible moments on the journey of this show is we had the great pleasure of getting to be a part of the NAMT festival uh, in 2018. 18, our 30th annual festival. Which was an incredible journey, not only for the show and the future of the show in terms of some amazing artistic partners that got a chance to meet the material um, and, and are helping shape the future of the piece. But the second presentation day happened to coincide with International Intersex Awareness Day, um, which the entire... Uh, staff of Interact was in New York protesting these surgeries that go on at uh, Weill Cornell Hospital <laughs> on wow. the east side. And so we were so grateful to be presenting the show to an audience um, with the entire Interact staff in the audience. Interact actually contributed language to yep. the program um, because I think the hope that we have is that the show transports audiences um, on an emotional experience of what someone who is intersex sort of navigates. And then leaving the show, we pro always provide context and clarity and action items so that every audience member, regardless of your um, uh, gender identity, has the capacity to step into an ally position and understand sort of a community that um, is largely undiscussed in America. Mm -hmm. and, and our hope is every time XY is presented moving forward, there is always an advocacy and an educational arm attached to the show um, because it's so important that if people experience Chris's journey and feel moved by that, that then the art propels them into a space of advocacy mm -hmm. and awareness um, and action. Wow. Well, I will say I was in that audience of, of that NAMP presentation and I was in tears during the show. and. I didn't know a ton about intersex, so I'll, admittedly, I, I, um, I mean, I, I knew I knew the term, and I knew sort of. I'd actually, I think, seen a documentary 
um, but I didn't wasn't really that well educated. But what spoke to me, which I've said a number of times already, is is just the relationship between a parent and a child, and just the fear that a parent has of doing the wrong things or not accepting your child. Um, you know, the burden on a parent to raise a child, especially in in today's day and age, is is so great. You know, you're just expected to know have all the answers and know what to do, and uh, and yet. Uh, you know, there's almost no way to screw it up. I mean, not to screw it up. Mm, right. <laughs> and I think it just, it, the, the heart of the piece speaks to such a broad audience. Um, so, you know, to be able to touch people even who don't really know a lot about this, uh, but then also to educate them um, and to to realize that Beth's journey is a Beth's journey as a parent, which I think is is you know a really interesting one, as we've talked about, um, is really universal. It just the stakes are even higher for her in a way. Um, because of the surgery element to it, so yes, I'm. I'm. Thank you for that. That bringing that into it. Mm, thank you. Yeah. I have a question uh, about uh, because this is, I, I think, a unique situation where we have both a uh, 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 author who and and you wrote the book and and the music and the lyrics, correct? Right. Of, Triple yeah. threat. And then we have a director who is is not just a director that came on later. You've obviously been very involved. So I'd love to know, sort of how your working relationship is, how you guys, uh, I mean, no, it's great, but uh, I mean, how do you guys work together? Uh, earlier you said you were part of a, you know, some development, early development of the work. So um, I'm curious just how that works when a, a writer uh, works with a director in the early stages of development. Well, I feel like if I'm the, the pregnant woman, Hunter is the very involved midwife. Here <laughs> we, you know, I, I remember actually when we met, it was uh, seven years ago. Um, and uh, I had just uh, been flown out to L.A. for this festival in Los Angeles um, because my 10-minute musical called Preschool the Musical was selected as a finalist. And Hunter was line producing the event, and I immediately just, like, made a beeline to him the last day that before I was about to leave because I was like, I just want to work with this guy. I want to create with this guy. And um, I ended up pitching Hunter the idea that would become XY, um, which is crazy that, you know, seven years later, here we are. But what's so special for me about our dynamic is that very early on when I was, you know, creating the show, we'd have these regular meetings at my apartment and we would just kind of go to town together and um, just like, you know, I, I would like put the, 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 voice recorder on and like Hunter we'd like start jamming and like Hunter starts like becoming all the characters and yada da and we just like would have a blast and I think it was really helpful for me as someone you know tackling book music and lyrics to have Hunter's real collaborative presence throughout this process it's been it's been both personally and creatively so meaningful mm, I reflect all that back to you mm. and I would say the great joy of the process was very early on we reached sort of a threshold of um, artistic collaboration where we were going past a usual uh, director writer mm. relationship in terms of the level of contribution and this unique pattern that we've sort of gotten into of me proposing images for the show that Oliver would be inspired to write into and sort of a blurring of the creation of dialogue and understanding structure in sure, a running around way. houses <laughs> running around houses with fevers uh, <laughs> talking about stealing neighbors dogs you know? yeah. um, and and the great joy of all of this was it sort of created this um, 
It was sort of like a ritual of accountability where Oliver would make something, he would show it to me, I would give my thoughts, make some suggestions of where we could go next. Oliver would go away, come back with new pages. And I would say for anyone who's sitting at home who um, maybe is an emerging writer who um, is looking, how do I start? How do I um, get a piece out into the world? Finding collaborators who can hold you accountable and create that ritual of meaning and purpose, it sort of makes the show out of nothing. You create this space in which you are constantly showing up for the work even before the work exists. And I think that those three years that Oliver and I had of once a week meeting his apartment and, you know, pretending to be these characters and dreaming into what the space could be has now led to this full-length piece that yeah. has such an exciting future. So it's just been an amazing ride and we've now started our third show together after this where I'm fully in the trenches with Oliver so we're just inching closer and closer yeah. to collaborating <laughs> even more in, in, a, in, yeah. a deeper, in a deeper way and so you mentioned the future what can we talk about about what's happening now and in the future for XY well what we are um, really excited for is that uh, I don't know when this is being released but in February 2020 um, we are presenting a developmental production of the show at the Village Theater's beta series, which is um, a super awesome opportunity for Hunter and myself to finally put this show on its feet after doing God knows how many readings at Music Stands and finally get to explore how staging impacts mm. the show. Mm -hmm. So this will be a cool opportunity because there'll be audiences but no critics. So it, gets, it, it gives us a chance to really iron out anything that needs to be ready um, and then following that we're anticipating a very exciting production at a historic nonprofit so exciting yes exciting I'm um, curious going back a little bit to development uh, when you started this was there something you what do you in your process do you did you write a couple songs first? Do you dig into the book? Do you write an outline? How, how do you get started on something like this? I spent a lot of time with the outline and the structure, which I think was on one hand super helpful and on the other hand my way of stalling actually writing because that's of course the most terrifying thing a writer can do is like actually start. Um, but certainly I wanted to get the structure right because I knew early on that dealing with past and present, you really need to, there needs to be a reason why the past is in the story and I Hunter has spoken to this earlier but we really didn't want this to be like a two-track narrative I really wanted to write one show and I wanted all of the all of the pieces to come together at to the weave end. together so so struck and I'm huge on structure so actually I was reading I was like devouring story by Robert McKee who's like the screen screenplay guru while I was developing the structure for XY and I actually think that really helped um, but certainly now like it went through so many drafts and iterations if you look an early draft you'd be like what show is this well that was actually one of my questions so what are some big changes that happened during the development process from where you started maybe your first draft to where you are now or even to where you might be going to in a you know in a month um i don't know if you're working on even new stuff but i'm curious uh, just as a you know as a creator myself what what uh, what were those big changes or aha moments that you might have had? There was one moment that was really inspiring, which was the shift in the Doctor character, where um, Dr. Albert, who is in the piece, actually is involved in um, quite a short portion of the piece, that he has only one scene with Beth, um, and certainly he's talked about in the Dr. Albert song, but in the original iteration of the show, 
Um, the doctor was personified by a real doctor named Dr. Money, who was sort of a true name, uh, John, Dr. John Money, who was this um, maniacal sexologist who was pushing his own gender theories um, to the the sort of detriment of the patients that he was working with. And the challenge of that narrative is very quickly it undermined the complexity of the story because mm. there was such a clear villain of the piece who had such a... Um, such a malevolent intention and uh, reframing, uh, eliminating the Dr. Money character and instead just uh, creating a doctor who uh, typified the standard uh, way that you would handle intersex youth in 85, 86, um, ended up reframing the narrative. So it was, a, a, of course, the decisions as we can see them now were reprehensible because they were creating all of these long-lasting um, negative consequences in these surgeries. Um, but at the time, certainly Dr. Albert thought he was working with the best of intentions. Um, so I think that was a major shift in the development of the piece. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest shift. And and I think in general, it was an interesting iterative process because I think I actually ended up writing the show. I, I kind of edited as I went along. So I remember discovering that Rebecca was a character. It was like a huge shift. Um, um, but yeah, I, I would say that was a big, big pivot was the doctor character. No, well, and just even the idea of Rebecca, like in very early drafts, there were ideas of like, were Chris and Christine played by the same performer? Were Noonie and Rebecca played by the same performer? Right. And very quickly we realized that actually that, um, the double casting worked against the story because there we were asking the audience to toggle with the performers as opposed to seeing the relationship that we have to mm. our past mm. physically and emotionally mm. present, which feels like something that theater is so good at, right? How can mm. you take these sort of abstract ideas, which may play well in a novel, may play well in a movie, and create a theatrical narrative to them in which you can truly confront and interact with and engage with the past? Yeah, I love it. I love that. Yeah. I always ask a piece like, "Why does this have to be musical theater?" And mm -hmm. to me, you just answer that that question for this story, which is is uniquely being allowed to watch a character grapple with their past and have every minute of it be timely and important and in in the scene, so so to speak. Mm. Totally. Yeah. Was there any song that you've written that you had to cut or that you that you just like ah? Oh. I mean, it's funny you say that because there's a song that I maybe am about to cut. I think we need to have a couple more conversations. <laughs> and it is a song that, you know, I am pretty good at killing my darlings, but this may be an instance where I have just held on to it for too long because I, I like it. Um, and, and it's also complicated because multiple people in interacting with the show have said it's their favorite song in the piece. Oh, um, and yeah. so but there's that dynamic. As well. I think that I remember like Sondheim saying like, like the, the most painful thing in the world is like writing a great song that's the wrong song. Yes. And this might be that. So I've got to know. Was it sung today? It was no. not. Sung okay. Today. Okay. Okay. So none of our listeners have to be. <laughs> no, no, no. No. You will all be spared. Torture. <laughs> yes. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm curious. This is something when I first uh, read this, saw this, uh, and I guess this is sort of a two-part question. How much do you think you need to know? And I brought this up at the very beginning, um, and I think the answer was not much. But, but. Um, in when you've presented this and and has it come out, uh, it, are there audiences that just have a reaction to this that is maybe not as uh, not what you expect, or or do that do they seem confused? Like if you don't know a lot about this, mm. or you don't know what the story is about going into it, um, you know, is the, is there a um, have you had those type of reactions, or or how do you handle that, or how do you thinking of handling that? 
Well, to speak to what you said earlier, which which I was so touched to hear, um, we've been so blessed to hear so many people from all different walks of life come up to us at the end and say, thank you so much for giving me a window into an experience and community I formerly knew nothing about. And um, I think what uh, I hope and the show seems to be doing successfully is giving a window and entry point into this very specific narrative and experience uh, while also remaining universal. And um, I think we'll learn a lot going forward uh, in Seattle about where we can continue to clarify certain things. But so far, I think we've been, the feedback we've received is that people are understanding what's going on. And at the end, they're curious to learn more about the intersex community and what that experience is. And as creators, it's important for us that there is a level of rigor in not only how the show is put into the world, but the context in which the show is put into the world. And so I'm looking forward to the Seattle process being a chance for us to learn about the show and also learn about the effect that the show has in um, activating audience members as they leave the theater and how they in turn talk about the show and talk about the intersex community. Mm. Yeah, I think that's something that's really, uh, and I'm curious your opinion, but great about theater is, is that often the experience extends beyond the performance. And I think there is an opportunity, especially when you're talking about regional theater, they're often subscriber-based, that, um, that there's education that can happen ahead of time. Uh, there's, there's sort of follow-up and education can happen as opposed to maybe a film that you might just turn on in your own living room and there's not a lot of context around it and you weren't prepared, mm. you know, uh, unless you did your own research. I, I think in theater and especially in, in nonprofit uh, regional theater, there there are those opportunities. So the, the experience can be much broader mm. and, um, and that's just something... And maybe it's also the theater community craves that stuff. They seem to, you know, they 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 want to dig deeper and know more. Uh, I'm curious if you feel the same, but... Yeah, I mean, I just think there's, especially when you're learning something to yourself or, or and that might like, like I, I know the more I learn about uh, different experiences and communities that I did not experience, it's humbling, right? I think about the ways I've behaved that maybe I wish I, I hadn't or, or things like that. And, and to, and to have those experiences sitting in a room full of people is also vulnerable. And what I think is so beautiful about XY is we, we get to see characters who might also behave differently, but you have sympathy and empathy for, for where they're at and what they're learning. And I, I, so I, so yes. And to all of it, I, you know, I, I think it's a vulnerable thing, um, to be led into worlds we're not familiar with. And it's so exciting, the rigor that you're, you're using both in the development of the piece and all the way through how audiences interact with it. I think it's really important. We're really excited. Mm, yeah. yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell us about it uh, that, that we haven't asked? Um, I would just say for everyone at home, um, Interact has just been an incredible champion. And I would love to, um, if you have a minute to look up more, I would go to interactadvocates.org. Um, Interact is an incredible nonprofit that uh, champions intersex youth rights across the country. They have multiple activation events. You can sign up online to learn how you can be an ally. So I would point everyone who's listening to this to um, check them out because they're great people. Wonderful. And mm -hmm. any special thanks before we go? I would love to give a special thanks um, actually to uh, Kenny and Marlene Alhadef, who are our um, commercial producers on the piece. And they are really, 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 really wonderful, heart-centered, 
human beings who are um, really shepherding the show in, in just the right way. So I feel very lucky. And I want to also give a very special thanks to you, Sierra, and everyone at NAMP, because that was an extraordinary um, exposure opportunity for me and Hunter and XY, and is really what has led to all of these really significant production opportunities. And it's also how we met you, Kevin. Yes. So, um, and we're grateful to you as well for having us. And I had a blast today. Yeah, this has been great. How can we also find more about both of you? Because obviously this isn't the only thing you're doing. You're both very active in, in creating amazing theater. So, um, you know, and we'll put bios and show notes and stuff like that. But I'm curious just quickly how we can learn more about both of you. Uh, well, my website is my name, Oliver Hauser, like spelled like house with an R at the end dot com. So you can go there um, or you can write me a postcard, um, <laughs> but maybe not because I won't. I she shouldn't say my address. So uh, <laughs> you can go to my website. Um, I am also at hunter bird dot com. I promise that's my real name. <laughs> and it's B-I-R-D. B-I-R-D. Awesome. Um, I also just want to give a shout out to our incredible performers, Peter Smith and Kuhu Verma. Thank you both so much. Uh, we are so grateful to have gotten the chance to uh, work with you today on the material and continuing to get to play together. So thank you. Before we let you go, we're not going to let you leave here uh, without performing one more song for us. We want to end. This is a, a musical theater podcast. We want to end on a, on a song. So, but we're going to let you choose um, what song you want to take us out on. So this is a song a little bit later in the show. Um, Chris and Nooney have been seeing each other for one month, and Chris hasn't told Nooney that he's intersex, and he's refused to be physically intimate with her. And uh, Nooney has just given Chris an ultimatum, and she's about to leave when Chris stops her. Nooney, wait. Why should I wait? There are scars on my body from a long time ago. Ugly scars, ugly memories, things you can't even know. There's no chance I could show you how they feel. Cause they are scars that I pretty they are wounds that never heal so these scars if you saw them they would scare you away there's no chance you would stay if things got real Oh. Uh -huh.
Chris removes his shirt, Noonie takes in Chris's mastectomy scars for the first time. She goes to Chris, puts her hands on the scars, and kisses them. Trace my lines. Trace my lines. Read my story. Read my story. See, see the places, places I've been. been. my perfect mistake and set me free For more information about One Foot Productions you can visit onefootprod.com and for more information about the National Alliance for Musical Theater, you can go to www.namt.org.